0: what's up everybody welcome back to the worst favorite record podcast where i talk to guests about records that are bad uh that they enjoy anyway and today i am joined by a very special guest uh josh from my favorite pittsburgh band of all time meeting of important people um so a lot of the the listeners and viewers of this channel i would say less than one percent probably are from pittsburgh so before we we jump into the subject at hand, I'd I'd like to kind of expose you to them a little bit, and talk about uh, who you are and and what you do. So that my first exposure to you is probably what year would that have been? Oh six or ish, maybe five six. Do you remember, was
1: it a three piece band or a four? I think it was three piece at the was, time, right?
0: Yeah, it was three piece yeah. band. I saw you in a in a record store, small record store in the Oakland neighborhood of Pittsburgh. Uh, called yeah. Brave New World My cousin's band That I was hanging out with all the time Was opening up for you guys uh, They were called The Red Less Traveled Right, and,
1: yeah,
0: yeah Yeah, Yeah, and uh, Yeah, your set that day blew me away So,
1: Well, I remember we had, we had a couple different versions of that band That band was called The You With a certain group of people on a downtown rock yeah, and we're smiling all around the bed And I think I like it better than the place and so I was probably 21 at the time and that was kind of like my first first time that I was in a band that started to get some kind of recognition beyond just our our friends you know like a punk rock band we I think by that time we'd we'd done a label deal like we'd signed a label deal and it was kind of a It was a dramatic time because we were young. We were trying to navigate this world of figuring out what a record label deal meant. Were we going to get to record our first album? All that kind of stuff. So it feels like another life, man. I guess, yeah, that would have been probably early, maybe even 2004, man, 2004 or 5. And then after that, a lot lot of things happened. I was in a Pittsburgh band called Lohio, which was grew pretty well regionally um in 2006 seven and eight and then we started doing the band that you mentioned meeting of important people which is probably how a lot of these songs are best known some of the songs that you even saw back then as the you we kind of redid and they were on our first and second album as meeting of important people um and that band has also been mostly like a regional band in the pittsburgh area we did tour a little bit uh A decade ago we had like a a digital label deal at the beginning of the the digital era when you were still downloading onto your devices right the itunes store and stuff um and so yeah we've mostly existed as a regional kind of garage pop band um and we're now what 13 or 14 years into that band with the our original lineup um just like the best of friends and we're actually about to record a new album which will be 20 year old songs it'll be a bunch of those old the you songs that never really never really came out properly it was kind of like my first batch of songs that i was really excited about um so that'll be out i think we're, we're planning as a 2023 recording project and we'll go to vinyl with it um that's what we're up to but yeah we've mostly we've had song placements we we almost broke nationally a couple times we had a viral music video for a song called britney lane in like 2009 which um made it to like gizmodo and all all sorts of blogs that uh that there were there were a number of things where it kind of looked like oh the band might sort of break nationally and we never quite did we all we had houses here and kids and stuff so we mostly really the opposite of what a lot of people do we kind of focused more like being the clarks or something um a band that that was able to build an audience and kind of maintain it regionally and we only perform a few times a year and try to keep it like a, a special occasion
0: yeah so you guys uh, just just did uh the thunderbird it's sold out show it looked like
1: yeah, it was almost sold out. It with with all the other bands and with the staff and stuff, it was at capacity. I think their the actual sales were close to being sold out, so we're trying to word it as it was at capacity but not technically sold out. Kind of like wrestling, right? If you're a WWE fan or something, they're all, it's always like, "Ah, they gave away 4,000 tickets <laughs> by radio station call-in," you know.
0: Uh very cool though. I I found out that that show was happening late, so I, I couldn't make it to it. Otherwise, I, I would have been there. I I moved back recently, so I've been a little out of the the loop.
1: Where where were you in between? I mean, since we last saw each other many years ago, you were you lived out of state, or?
0: Well, yeah, we my wife and I, girlfriend at the time, moved uh, to Philly. We were there for um, three years, and then we were in Arlington, Virginia, for four years.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, my wife lived in Arlington, I think, for a very short time way back. Well, welcome back, man. What neighborhood are you Are you comfortable saying to sure. the Pittsburgh listeners what neighborhood you live in? Or? Yeah, as long as they're cool with not stalking me. Um,
0: yeah. I'm in Mount Washington now, right on the edge of awesome. uh, Allentown.
1: Cool, man. Welcome back. Yeah, that, that music store show, it's so funny because we had been talking we'd been messaging about doing the podcast. And you brought up that show many years ago at this little record store. And a day later, another friend messaged me, hey, do you remember that music store that used to be on whatever that is Atwood or something in in Oakland, the Pitt campus? And it was so weird because I hadn't thought about it in 17 or 18 years. And then like within 24 hours, two independent people were talking about that, that store. And yeah, crazy memories of being in your early twenties and playing a lot of, of DIY venues at record stores and all ages kind of places. Um it's the kind of thing that that really only happens in those in those few years usually for people. Yeah. So that record store, I
0: think it bounced around a little bit. And it was on Atwood, but I think when when I saw you, that was actually when it was on Bates. It was like Yeah, it
1: was a yeah, the major corner. That's exactly right. Yeah. The yeah. road that comes off of the The Parkway. I had also kind of stalked. You know, we're we're Facebook friends now. Did you work at the Greensburg CD warehouse? Did I I say that?
0: I worked at all of them. I worked. I started working at the West Mifflin one. Wow. Which is where where I met one of our two mutual friends on Facebook, Caleb. Um, Mm -hmm. he would shop there, and I was like, "Yeah, this dude has cool taste." So we started talking, became friends. But that store closed down. So then I ended up working at the Monroeville and
1: Greensburg store, which were owned, oh, by, yeah. owned by the same guy. the Monroe- I grew up in Plum um, and we're driving people crazy who don't live here. We're saying all these neighborhoods, but yeah, the, the Monroeville CD warehouse was my, that was my spot because um, there was a used instrument store right next to it called musical rounder in the same plaza. Yep. So you could buy like a used symbol and then walk ten feet and buy a used copy of Oasis. Be here now. You know it was it was a great shopping experience.
0: Yeah, I worked I worked for for those two stores from 2008 until I left in 2015.
1: So I was I was there quite wow. a while. Well, the Greensburg one was huge. I bring that up because we were we have two little kids now. We were taking our kids out to like Idlewild or something on Route 30, and we passed the uh, the music. It's still there, the CD warehouse that's in Greensburg, and I remember that they used to do kind of DIY punk shows and stuff. That was like, that was a coveted venue when you were nineteen, twenty. Um, try to get a gig at the Greensburg CD warehouse. Were you part of those kind of in-store shows? Like, did you have anything to do with booking them? Or
0: by the time I got there, they had stopped doing the shows for insurance reasons and like the, yeah. the shows were getting out of hand and and people were not <laughs> behaving so, so so the shows had stopped but they had the stage still set up in the back it was just like an empty back room mm-hmm. and i heard a lot of stories I, I, allegedly before before they were anybody uh, they had a show cancellation in pittsburgh and uh coheed and cambria called the store and said mm-hmm. can we can we play there so there was a there was this early coheed show in the back yeah. room of cd warehouse
1: yeah, it was on people's radar. I was going to say, I never got, I was never in the cool club, man. I never got to play there. I would send demos and stuff and, you know, MySpace message or something. So I was going to say, if you were part of that review committee, I can't believe you guys never had us, but <laughs> I shut you down. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe How's someday it? gatekeeper.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's get uh let's shift gears into what we're here to talk about. And that is uh, your choice of record. And I've been saying to all of the couple of guests that I've had so far at the beginning, that there are a couple different types of records that work for for the idea of this podcast. One would be a record that you can kind of say, like, I recognize that this is pretty bad, but there's something that I either find funny about it, or I get some kind of ironic enjoyment from. It could be something that you legitimately love. Maybe you don't understand why other people don't get it. It could be like the worst record in someone's catalog. It could be, you know, if your favorite Elvis Costello records, the Juliet letters or something that would work. <laughs> um, so I'm just wondering before we even say what we're talking about here, what kind of record is this for you?
1: Well, I think it covers two categories because it's almost like Moby Dick. They say that you should revisit great literature and it means something different to you, right? Every, every 10 years. And I mean that kind of unironically, I, I, we're going to talk about a Wesley Willis album um, very much in line with the kind of punk and DIY record store underground shows that we, that we opened discussing Um, in, in college, I discovered Wesley Willis as an artist, like a lot of people do, which is ironically laughing, probably laughing more at him than with him and it being so bad, it's good. But then years later, it's really funny, man. Not only does it hold such a special place in my heart, Wesley Willis's music, but this particular album that we're going to talk about, Greatest Hits, Volume One, I think it's unironically really good because it's direct, honest, communicative music. And so it kind of like covers both of those both of those for me, the kind of snarky Ironic, being a teenager and college-aged, something that's, I enjoy it because it's so bad. And now years later, listening to it and thinking, to me, this is unironically pretty good art. It really is, like spoken word, intentionally humorous in places, really good stuff. So we should probably back up a little bit and explain who Wesley
0: Willis is to the unfamiliar. Uh, He was Chicago, right? I think he's from Chicago. Um, yeah. Born in 1963, a, di- a diagnosed schizophrenic, basically used a, a little keyboard, used the auto accompaniment setting and just played the, the built-in tracks on the keyboard and did kind of like spoken word stuff over top. Um, eventually, he was signed to a Jello Biafra's label, Alternative Tentacles, and, and kind of started to build a, a little bit of a following. And you, you had kind of m- mentioned in our messaging to each other that that following was kind of a lot of people... Uh, laughing at him which is kind of really sad
1: man it is it's 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 interesting to talk about in 2023 because from a 2023 lens there is a lot to talk about with the wesley willis fandom there would be a lot you could write a dissertation on it at the time the initial disclaimers would be i discovered wesley willis through like napster right the early late 90s early 2000s was a time where There was file trading beginning to absolutely blow up, especially on college campuses where you'd go to college and you'd have like Ethernet, high-speed Internet for the first time where at your house still, you usually still had a dial-up, you know. So for the first time in 2000, 2001, 2002, people could, it was a wonderful tool for exploring all this kind of music that you would have never encountered before, certainly that you wouldn't have paid $14 for one song that you knew about um as as a teenager you didn't have that kind of money so whether or not it was completely detrimental to the music industry which maybe it has been aside when when you got to college you were every day i remember i would queue up like 30 different songs that i wanted to hear songs that i knew from oldies radio right but i would never actually buy their greatest hits compilation you'd go to class and you'd come back and maybe 20 15 or 20 of them would have downloaded in that time and through that i learned about wesley willis um and at first yes it it was wesley was presented to me by uh, there were other kids in my dorm who knew about him one kid actually from philly had seen him live i think that year or the year before and i didn't we didn't i didn't know his race i didn't know that he was a, a black man right and i also the rap on him was Oh, this is a homeless, uh, like alcoholic guy, or something like that. We didn't know, we really didn't know, like, the mental health angle to it at first. So it was just presented as, oh, this is silly. Somebody recorded this as a homeless guy who is using a little keyboard and recording these pretty outrageous songs, right? They're, um, if the listeners aren't familiar, you can do a Google search, but Wesley would record kind of singing, the choruses were usually singing, but songs about all kinds of stuff, um, everything from um, like morality tales, like about how he would he would create characters and say like, I broke into your house and da-da-da-da-da, and then the police arrested me, these very kind of prosaic uh, off-the-wall songs that seemed to be intentionally funny. And it was only later that we I began to learn about him having been diagnosed as a as a schizophrenic guy and uh yeah from a 2023 lens there's a lot that you could could say about all of this but my initial fandom of wesley was just that they were these weird kitschy songs they had profanity in them right so it's funny and interesting when you're a kid and uh yeah my friends and i would crowd around and listen to these to the, like literally hours of wesley willis songs because there was so much out there already in the in the early 2000s yeah so
0: there's a ton of if you look at his discography there's a ton of albums i don't know if, what they are exactly if they're just like tapes that he made CDs that he was passing around very unofficial and then when he signed to alternative tentacles then i guess jello put together these uh these tracks so it's it is a compilation it's called greatest hits none of these were were what you would traditionally call a hit
1: no and that's why it seems okay to discuss on the podcast because it's not really like a greatest it's not like the eagle's greatest hits volume one or whatever um yeah jello i think had learned about wesley in the mid-90s he was a street musician wesley was a an artist too he did these incredible line drawings um he would give away, he would, he would sell it as shows. And he was mostly like an underground, kind of like a punk musician. And then yeah, Jello, I think compiled some of Wesley had done like hardcore songs, like with a full band in Chicago, as well as many of these kind of solo keyboard songs that we're talking about. And so I think that was the first time that on a national scale, you could get a Wesley album at like a Best Buy or something. I remember seeing a couple Wesley Willis albums at like Circuit City in those years. I think before that, he had just, like you said, been burning CDs. It was like mixtape stuff. Um, but I think he has like 40 albums, if you if you count those kind of DIY albums as well.
0: So I was familiar with him. I, I, I kind of knew his story and had heard little snippets, but I never really listened to him. So this was my first time kind of digging into any of his stuff. And the thing I was most struck by is... You know, I had that kind of idea, like, this is just a crazy guy. But the thing that struck me most was how much self-awareness there is. And there's a lot. He's t- he's talking about, like, an outburst he had in an art store where he had, like, a, an attack, a schizophrenic attack and, and was yelling profanities, and they threw him out of the store. And he has, like, all this regret and shame, and he's talking about it. It's really um, really affecting, I think.
1: Yeah, and that's what I mean when I say as an adult now, being, like, almost 40 I think it's really valuable and honest art, man. Like he, he, I feel like we're not doing it justice. If the listener, you really have to like, it's hard to describe what these songs are. They're like, they are kind of like rambling little keyboard songs where he's just playing the like, like the backing track button. He can change the, you know, the key. He can go up and down the keyboard and he's kind of rapping over it. And they're kind of like monotone him speaking, stories, talking about himself, talking about imaginary characters, talking about beating up Batman. Um, and then he sings the chorus. And he often, he really goes for it, man. Like in terms of when I say, I think it's good art, he's wailing the choruses. He's singing them uh at full volume. He's fully committing. You can tell he believes what he's saying. And yeah, as, as time went on, we started to hear his songs that were clearly about having schizophrenia. He'd have it's almost like Wesley had like 10 different kinds of songs, right? He had like his police arresting somebody songs. He had songs about being schizophrenic. He had kind of like bestiality songs where he's saying like, he's like wishing his, he's wishing ill will on his demons in the form of like suck a Bactrian camel off and all this stuff, (laughs) stuff that is very clearly intentionally funny. You know, I'm not saying that as a justification, I think um, from documentaries later, you would see that, yeah, Wesley was obviously self-aware enough to know that some of this stuff was intentionally funny and uh, that you are laughing with him. But the more we learned about his actual mental health issues, there was a documentary that came out in 2003 called Wesley Willis, The Daddy of Rock and Roll, where I distinctly remember my friends and I watching it and going, oh... All right, man, this isn't funny. Well, I understand now. It they followed him around, showed his actual mental health struggles. Um, Wesley had a really, really hard life, man. Like, uh, you know, drug addict parents. I think he was one of ten kids in Chicago. He definitely was homeless at multiple times. Um, And as his songs detail, he would have. He would hear voices. uh, He would be violent with people. People would be violent towards him, right? Because they didn't understand what was going on. So he had a
0: really tough life. So so what what I would, one thought I had listening to this is that it's kind of like a child bringing you a drawing to put on the fridge. Like it's so unfiltered. There's no, um, he's not worrying about making it good. He's just making it and presenting it. And um, there's something really um, special about that. I, I don't. I don't think you hear that very often in music.
1: No, that's exactly right. That is what that it is what he's doing. And before he was signed to Jello Biafra's label, there had been years where Wesley was making these recordings and giving them. He wanted. He clearly wanted to share this stuff with people. So in terms of the exploitive nature of it. I don't really know. It's kind of it's almost like a question of could Wesley consent to wanting people to hear his music? Could he consent to signing a record deal with Jello Biafra? Seems like he could. And he wanted people to hear his music. And he wanted to share, like you said, those very direct and honest feelings uh, with with the world. Um I actually saw him live twice. I saw him in Buffalo, I want to say, it like at a college in Buffalo in maybe 2002. And then I saw him again the following year in Rochester in upstate New York. And it's difficult because 50% of the audience was kind of like drunken frat guys, right? That were just like going as like a sideshow attraction and almost like heckling Wesley. And then the other 50%, I think genuinely saw that this was a kind person who wanted to share music with them, um, and they were in on the joke with him, right? Obviously, Wesley Willis is writing songs about the chicken cow. He's discovered a new breed of creature called the chicken cow, and he describes what that is. He would write songs about beating the hell out of Batman, beating the hell out of Spider-Man, beating the hell out of Birdman, who I'm not exactly sure who that is. Man, they're great songs. when people I'm trying to think what would be like smart music from that era, like the Decembrists or something, what did, what did yeah. people think of as being something like, like what would that, they... yeah. and it's yeah. like, if Decembrists are a good call, December something like that. You couldn't pay me money to listen to that versus Wesley. Like to me, Wesley Willis is actual, it's not smart quote unquote, but it's actually, like you said, honest, honest music, man, like pretty unfiltered music.
0: Yeah. I, You have said that it's legit art, and I agree with that statement. I think it's very legitimate art. Where I kind of get hung up, and maybe you can talk about how you feel about this as well, is listening to it as like for enjoyment, for like musical enjoyment. Like where, is this something that you would put on and like rock out to? Like I can listen to it and say, wow, this this is really you know a special thing mm-hmm. it's interesting and artistically i appreciate it but i'm not going to throw it on at a par- at a party certainly or mm-hmm. like or really almost ever i like to know that it exists and i like that i have heard it but how much actual musical enjoyment do you get from it because the record that we listen to i would say half or maybe more is the same keyboard part that he's (laughs) using so I wonder what your thoughts are as far as like actual music and and separating that from art and and thinking of that as like a different thing
1: well if I was going to be raucous about it where being who I am the number one thing that I think about in songwriting is usually like melody right so it's probably not the kind of music that you listen to if you're looking for memorable melody like traditional songwriting but it's kind of like folk music in that it it is uh honest lyrics right and they're memorable to me the biggest thing about music is is it memorable and absolutely wesley willis music is extremely how can you forget i whooped batman's ass like that's the greatest chorus i've ever heard or or rock and roll mcdonald's musically I think it's more about the energy, which to me is I, I love hip hop, but I'm usually not listening to hip hop for like melody, sometimes the hook, right? If it's like Ashanti singing the hook or something, I'll think of that, that will cross over into that area of my brain. But to me, like hip hop is more energy, attitude, honesty, And you can frankly say much more in hip hop or in a Wesley Willis song because you're not beholden to a melody. You can cram in a bunch more syllables. You can literally say more things. So no, I probably don't listen casually to Wesley. It's also hard to put on an album like this because for every positive song that there is about, he'd sing a a song about a friend, you know, you are my friend. The next song will usually be about sucking a Bactrian camel's dick. So it's really hard to like play it through. Um, There are peaks and valleys in terms of subject matter. And and, uh, yeah, hard to put on at a party. That said, it made for a great experience in a dorm room when you're 19 or 20 and all your friends are gathering around. Hey, which Wesley Willis song did we download today? Um, And absolutely loving it. I mean, Wesley Willis was for better or worse, like party music for me for a year until... Until we learned more about his background, what was going on with him. So one thing I found
0: really interesting, and I don't know if you know anything about this or not, or if you can say what's going on here, but there's this like, I don't know if it's an in-joke or what it is, but there's this thing he does at the end of almost every song where he says, uh, rock over London, rock on Chicago. And then he tags it with like a little slogan, a little slogan sponsorship thing uh, what's he doing there? Why is he doing that? And it, it's it's really interesting to me. <laughs> I was like, what is going on with this?
2: Rock over London, rock on Chicago, Wheaties, Dremets of Champions.
1: Yeah, I mean, not being a doctor, I think a lot of what Wesley is doing is he's a neurodivergent dude, right? So it's a lot of repetition, right? Of of um repetition of subject matter, repetition of... Um, expression yeah at the end of every Wesley Willis song I think he probably felt like he had to give a shout out to a business or something so many of them are like you said uh Michelob it's the champagne of beers or whatever like uh, rock over London rock on Chicago and then he'd, he'd tag it with some sort of sponsorship I think in what there was a later documentary that came out at the in later in the 2000s after Wesley had died which was called Wesley Willis, Wesley Willis's Joy Rides, and it's excellent. And I do think they explain a lot of that stuff in that documentary. So highly recommended. But yeah, I think it was um, kind of a repetitive trope that that Wesley thought he had to tag every song with, maybe to get, uh, maybe to get sponsorship or just, I don't know. He's trying to cash in big, you know? Yeah. Uh, So
0: we don't have to do a full track by track, but we could just uh, kind of touch on some of the ones that stood out to me and maybe ones that stand out to you. Apparently, his biggest song is, is the song that opens this record, Rock and Roll McDonald's. Rock
2: and Roll McDonald's. McDonald's will make you fat. They serve Big Macs. They serve quarter pounders. They will put pounds on you.
0: And he talks about McDonald's a lot in his music. Um, Which is interesting There's another song, which one is it Um, I'm sorry that I got fat Where he talks about eating Mm -hmm. McDonald's For like five years straight And saying he's trying to slim down And this song is a reminder for me to slim down
2: The first time when I got fat I was eating those fatty hamburgers Fries and all that That's what I'm gonna do Something about it, right
1: I'm going to pull up the track list thing, so I'm with you. The, um, oh, yeah, yeah. The, we, yeah, I love this compilation because it does give you a really solid one or two examples of every type of song that Wesley did. Um, and like you said, let's see, I'm looking for Greenest Hits Volume 1. Here we go. So yeah, it does open with Rock and Roll McDonald's, which was kind of his biggest his biggest track. Um and also because it was kind of like a non-profane song, so it was one that that you got to remember, man. It was like those early years of web video, Homestar Runner, all those like Flash videos. People, it was the first time that we could like watch kitschy media streaming in real time or you know, relatively good quality on our on our computers, right? So you kind of got inundated with that, with early viral videos and viral songs and silly songs. So rock and, rock and roll McDonald's fit into that genre really, really well. But you're right. There's something else going on there, which is he is expressing some shame and some guilt. Uh, he was a really big dude. He struggled with his weight. I think a big part of that was he was on antipsychotics, right? Which uh, probably contributed to, to some pretty morbid weight gain. And so it's interesting. It seems like just a silly, kitschy song, but you're right. He's talking about feeling shame and guilt for, for eating McDonald's and that, and that other one, I'm sorry, I got fat.
0: I think there's, I don't know exactly like how, how homeless he was or like how on the streets he was, but I think probably that was, that's what he could afford. That's what was near him that he could get and access easily. And I think there's a lot going on with McDonald's and his songs that maybe he didn't even realize.
1: I think so, man. The The album also contains a couple of his songs where he would do entire albums that are kind of unlistenable of just tributes to bands that he saw. So literally track one, Smashing Pumpkins. And they, are, they follow kind of a repetitive, this band played at the Metro. There were about 3,500 people at the show. The show was awesome. It whipped the donkey's ass with the belt. Then he'd sing the name of the band So there's a few of those on this album As well, right? Urge, Overkill um, Maybe Elvis Presley Although I doubt he saw Elvis Presley At the Metro in 1994 Stabbing Westward, that's my favorite stabbing, of those. Stabbing Westward This band played at the Metro About 3,000
2: people were at the rock show The jam was excellent The roll was perfect
1: Stabbing Westward Stabbing Westward so those are those are a tough listen because they don't have like as much humor value to them. There's no good profanity, and they're also a little less memorable because they are just extremely, extremely repetitive. Um, I, I kind of like.
0: I do like those though because it's like it almost feels like what I'm doing here. It's like I saw mm-hmm. a thing that I liked, and now I'm going to tell you that it was cool.
1: And... Oh, he's so po- He's so positive in them. Every he never says like, "I saw this band. This band sucked." It's always this. I I saw uh, what's another big shit? Red Red Meat or something like that. There were fifteen. There were no. He doesn't say fifteen hundred. There were 1, people at the show. The band was awesome, and you know, it's it's great because it's all these different genres. Wesley clearly loves rock and roll, right? It'll be like metal bands and stuff, and he loves it. He goes on and on about. Sometimes they'll say, I went backstage, I met the band, they were awesome, I love them like a magic kiss, that's a Wesley, famous Wesley phrase, a magic kiss, is like high praise, you know?
0: Yeah, and then, so you got that, there's a couple other songs in between, and then you get to the fourth track, Outburst, which is probably my favorite track on the record, a lot going on in that song. The backing track is really interesting, too, it's like this spooky, jazzy country Um, thing, it's got like these synthetic guitar sounds on it it's a really kind of unsettling vibe just from the music bed that he's using and then talking about how he had this episode in an art store my yelling got me put out of the art
2: store the voices in my head cussed at me i was yelling like a wild animal i felt like a jackass screaming at the top of my lungs
1: And isn't that interesting? Because even though we were earlier not slagging Wesley, but we were saying, oh, it's the keyboard accompaniment, while wow, kitschy and humorous, leaves something to be desired in terms of like the musicality. But on this song, like you said, what does he do? He's using like a, it's a, I don't know if it's a minor chord patch or something, but it's like, it is darker minor chords. Like obviously, Wesley got that to communicate this story about having a, a schizophrenic outburst in public he accompany it's not do, 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 it's not one of the happy tunes um he he frames it with dramatic minor chords you know and it's it's a bummer of a song i mean it was the kind of song that yeah as a 19 year old we would chuckle at we would laugh but when you listen to it it's wesley communicating the pain of living with schizophrenia he says a chronic outburst can happen you know he's he's telling you um what it's like to to be him and he knows that he's scared and shocked all these people around him by screaming and acting out um based on what he was hearing in his head
0: there's the line uh i also said suck my dick in front of a lot of people which i mean that's the line that if you're in college and you're listening to that that's going to get the laugh of course
1: but, that, but <laughs> we would drag we would drag our Winamp thing right to okay wait it's at 45 seconds that he says the thing about the suck my you know what i mean Um, And it's, I mean, it still kind of makes me laugh. I
0: I still chuckle at that. But like, there's something like he is expressing, you know, this horrible thing that happened to him.
1: I will say this, Jason, one of my favorite genres of Wesley song of which there aren't any on this album, he has a few about getting thrown out of church. So I recommend to viewers, if you search for Wesley Willis, they threw me out of church. Um, And again, with the kind of repetitive is one called I got kicked out of church, they threw me out of church, don't curse in God's house and they're all very similar stories about how he has an outburst in church and um the the reverend um apparently uh, cite, uh uh calls Wesley out in front of the congregation and kicks him out of church for for swearing in front of everybody. I'll have to look up one of those as well after we finish Highly up recommended. here Yeah.
0: There's also a couple of these ones that are like similar to the I saw a show and I love this band where he's just like talking about people that he's come across off top. Ronnie is the one where he's talking about his doctor yeah. that I thought was really sweet. You gave me a shot and yeah. you're calming me down. And...
2: You are a nice doctor. You are my grateful one. You are my man. You are the greatest. It's so sweet, man.
1: It's, He's immortalizing his friends. He's paying tribute. You know, that's his, that's his birthday present or Christmas present to a friend. Um, And he would do that, like he would do it on the spot. I remember he was on Howard Stern in the mid '90s, a similar thing where Howard clearly had him on as like a, a laffy laffy sideshow kind of thing. But Wesley's interview is really lovely. And I think if I remember, he writes a Howard Stern song like that on the spot, and then he writes a Baba Booey song like that on the spot. And of course, it's the same exact chords in the background, but the chorus is Baba Booey. Um, yeah, that was his, his gift to, to the people in his life.
0: Yeah, I, I like in the Tammy Smith song, I love you like a milkshake. I thought that was a,
1: a great line. I love you like a milkshake. I love you like a magic kiss. You put me on a joy ride, right, Wesley? When he would overcome his demons, he would say that he was on a joy ride or a joy bus ride. And of course, in the moments where these demons, right, the voices were getting to him, he would say they were putting him on a hell ride. So a lot of Wesley songs will mention how he, he goes down a dark path and he's on a, a hell ride, which is an incredibly poetic way to say what you're going through, man. You're stuck on this journey, it is a hell ride, you know,
2: during even profanity, hell right at me. Strike my suburban jobless music down. Torment me. So I can yell at city bus drivers. Make me have an uproar hell ride on every city bus route. Spoil my joy fun. Spoil my joy fun. Spoil my joy
0: ride,
2: my joy
0: ride Elvis Presley. That's another one where it's not exactly the, the same as like stabbing westward and smashing pumpkins because it's not a firsthand experience, <laughs> but he's, He's talking about how uh he says he is my greatest singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's my kind of guy, he says. And then and then there's these like stacked, I don't know if they're pitched, these crazy harmonies. Yeah. That, yeah. that are really wild. Yeah. And I wonder where that comes from, if that's like sort of like voices that he's hearing, or if it's just like him attempting to make harmonies that he's heard.
2: Yeah, Ms. Presley.
1: I think in one of the documentaries, you, you have a great ear. I think he did specifically say that that was emulating some of the things he would hear in his head. I remember he was, he was clearly surrounded by very positive Chicago musicians. And I remember in one of the documentaries, it shows whatever recording engineer would bring Wesley in and probably for five bucks, let him record all day would help him record a whole album of songs in a whole day. Wesley would go to Kinko's and make cop make his covers. He would, borrow somebody's CD burner at the time and print up all of his albums. So he, he was pretty, pretty well, well well-connected it seems. And people were very kind to him, man. Um, That Chicago creative community was, uh, was really supportive of the guy. So then
0: in the middle of this record, you've got a couple tracks where it suddenly breaks from the Technics keyboard and you've got a couple of the, I guess, is this the Wesley Willis fiasco that we're hearing? Yep, yep. J-
1: Jello really wanted to, to show the world all these different facets of Wesley's musicality so yeah for a few years Wesley did have he fronted like a hardcore band and the recordings are amazing right I mean it's like it's great big budget full kind of hardcore stuff um, and it works really well my favorite of those is uh, he's doing Time in Jail right where Wesley recounts this amazing story of having a schizophrenic outburst on the bus and a dude who witnesses it attacks Wesley. This was a real thing that actually did happen.
2: This is about this guy who slashed me in the face and back as I exited the Core Cottage Grove bus. This is the dawn of a new era. So let me rap and sing about this song as I exit the Cottage Scroll bus.
1: Uh, that's another it the line is blurred between what is wesley writing as fiction and what has actually happened to him and reading interviews and stuff over the years some of the stuff really did happen to him um and that's one of them where a guy attacked him and cut him probably because wesley was being uh physically aggressive or or freaking people out on the bus and so that's probably my favorite of those songs it's really, really interesting. He details almost like a Carter family song, just the facts of what happened. At 5.17 PM, I was on the Cottage Grove bus at the intersection of Loop and blah, blah, blah. uh, I exited the Cottage Grove bus and he says the guy's name and stuff. (laughs) He uses his full name, the the assailant. Um, What better way to deal with such a traumatic thing than communicating it with your with your friends um in your hardcore band
0: jesus is the answer is a pretty wild one with the with the hardcore band and the way it starts i I should have iconic should have taken better notes but he's basically what's it's like i'm gonna it's it's probably my or
1: something yeah well one of them is it jesus is the answer one of them starts with maybe the best intro i've ever heard for a song he says I'm gonna do this song again. Number two, I'm gonna do this song again up your ass. Number three, I'm gonna do this song again till I fuck you up like a car crash. I mean, he goes through this like detailed list of how intense this song is going to be, and then the band kicks in.
2: Number one, I'm gonna do this song again. Number two, I'm gonna do this song again all the way up your ass. And number three, I'm gonna fuck your ass up like in a car crash. And number four, I'm gonna fuck you up like a goddamn accident. And number five, Jesus is the answer.
1: Um, Again, I think intentionally humorous in some ways, right? But it's also so, just a
0: great intro. It's a great intro, and it's so aggressive that it's such a juxtaposition against what he's about to sing about. Jesus is the answer. So, yeah, it's really
1: funny. Because he even wraps it up that way. He says, number five, I'm going to fuck you up like an accident. And number six, Jesus <laughs> is the answer. And the band kicks in. Um. Hey man, it's, it, it inspires me, you know? Yeah. I thought that was pretty amazing.
0: Uh, Then you got, uh, I whooped Batman's ass, which you've already alluded to these, these fantastical songs. What's he say? Batman was annoying me. I think, I think is why he
1: whooped his ass. uh, Yeah. Again, a whole series of songs that he would do about famous Marvel superheroes offending him, usually offending his girlfriend. I think in some of them, Wesley uh, maybe projects that he, that he's in a relationship and Batman, or Spider-Man will, will quote mess with my girlfriend and so Wesley will step in and defend the girlfriend and beat, beat the shit out of the, the Marvel superhero. I'd say I Whoop Batman's Ass is probably my favorite Wesley Willis song and maybe like a top 50 song for me of all time.
2: Batman got on my nerves He was running me a moke. He ridiculed me, calling me a bum I whoop. Batman's bass s, I whooped bass s I whoop
1: It's worth noting that Wesley, much like Bob Dylan, never really committed live to any of those arrangements. I think it's worth noting that whatever happened in the studio that day, um, wasn't really something that Wesley was able to replicate. I don't know that he would always remember exactly whatever the pad was. So when I would see him live, he would do, I whooped Batman's ass. And it kind of sounded nothing like that studio track. It'd be faster and a little more of a random. Most of the words would be the same. But I mean, if Bob Dylan can do it, Wesley Willis can do it, you know?
0: I guess final thoughts put a bow on uh, defending. Wesley Willis to um, maybe those that are
1: skeptical of the validity of this? Well, it is hard for me because I'm so nostalgic for it, right? I'm sure a lot of the people that you're talking to, that factors in hugely. There's nothing as powerful as nostalgia. So obviously, if all things being equal, if I didn't know about this and you handed it to me in 2023... I might be like, I don't know what you're talking about. What is this? Um, that said, I would say it's a really interesting record of like a a beloved street performer. I don't know. Actually, I, I don't know that he was ever really homeless. That I think that might have been a myth. I do think when we say street performer, it's because he would perform on the street, but I don't think he was ever actually homeless. Um, and yeah, I mean, to me, the value is it's a really unique intentionally humorous in places um, record of 90s street performing and a big mix of keyboard spoken word stuff, hardcore music. Um, and above all, it's somebody's pretty unique perspective, man. There aren't many places that you're going to hear songs about the chicken cow, which I, uh, you know, Wesley would imagine another, another one that I love that isn't on this album is called The Termites Ate My House Up. <laughs> A band of termites crawled under the wood of my log cabin. They stuck their tape on the dry wood and ate up my stew. Which is a great one. Wesley describes how termites come and eat his entire house to nothing. And the chorus is, the termites, the termites, the termites ate my house up. And he really commits to communicating uh, how devastated he is by the termites eating his house up. So to me, it's just, it's super imaginative. It's no different from Sid Barrett or something. It's, it's kind of psychedelic, these songs. Um, and it really does fit into that whimsy that I love about music. To me, all music um, should take you back 10 or 20 years. I mean, all music to me is like a youthful thing. It makes you think of being a child. And Wesley... Really does that beautifully. He just does it with a lot of profanity. So make sure to hit that hit that mute button if you uh, if your mom is walking down the hall, you know, towards your room. Do you think there's any
0: um, direct influence on your own music coming from from Wesley Willis? I know people always want to draw like really direct comparisons when it comes to influences. Like this directly influenced this. Mm. And I don't think that's always how influence works. It kind of just, I don't think many artists think of it that directly. It just kind of exists. It's things you've heard and it just comes out how it comes out. But I wonder if uh, if you feel anything, uh, similarities between Wesley Willis and your own music.
1: Yeah, I mean, Wesley showed, he was one of the first performers that I saw that I thought of as being a national performer who at his shows, he was hanging out at a table meeting everybody Doing drawings for people, he was obviously trying to sell stuff and make a couple bucks. Um, but there were hundred each each time I saw him, there were several hundred people there. I don't know four hundred. I saw him at the Bug Jar in Rochester, which probably is like a three or four hundred person venue, and they were always packed. And his approach was he would just hang out. You could come over and meet him and shake his hand. Maybe we'll link um, in the description. But I have a YouTube video of my friends and I from Ithaca College meeting Wesley at one of his shows. And he would do this thing where he would almost like anoint you. He would headbutt you. He'd say, Say rock, and he'd headbutt you. Say roll, and he'd headbutt you. And it was like his little ritual when he'd meet a new friend say rock, headbutt, say roll. Um, and he was gone too soon, man. I guess that's probably the last thing we should say. I think uh, he died of leukemia, I think, uh, in 2000, maybe three or four. So, pretty shortly after getting into Wesley and then learning about him actually being a schizophrenic dude. Right. Um, and then he was gone pretty, pretty shortly thereafter, I think 2003. Um, so I don't know how, how history looks back on him, but pretty influential in terms of the DUI, the the DIY side, hanging out, meeting people, um, Giving a little incentive for people to come to your show. Oh, here's a drawing, right? The kind of stuff that we would definitely see with Kickstarter, right? And, and yeah. GoFundMe in, in in the years to come. For sure,
0: yeah. Forty years old in uh, 2003. Um, so, yeah, thanks for coming on and doing this. Hopefully, uh, opens some people up to Wesley's music and hopefully your music as well. I hope people check out both.
1: I'm the way I'm free.
0: all that stuff rate rate it i don't even know how that works yet i'm not up on uh, apple podcast yet but i think you rate it and comment and stuff like that so whatever you do do that and uh check out the next one and we'll see you
1: then thank you for having me man cheers it was a blast